Welcome to PLSJ's podcast, where the Public Library of Steubenville in Jefferson County shares with you our favorite quirky questions, finds out what leaders in our community are reading, interviews local authors, and so much more. Welcome to the Public Library of Steubenville in Jefferson County. This is our main library. Um, Julie Rabini is here with us today. And she's the author of three biographies for young readers, including Ida I, sports journalist Christine Brennan, Virginia Hamilton, America's Storyteller, which was named to Bank Street College of Education's Best Children's Books 2018 edition, and Missing Millie Benson, The Secret Case of the Nancy Drew Ghostwriter and Journalist. She has also written Hidden Ohio, a search and seek children's book about her great state, and her most recent book, Why We Smile, Strive, and Sing. Julie and her husband established Claire's Day, a children's book festival in honor of their daughter. This celebration of Claire's love for reading has grown to a week-long celebration, impacting over 20,000 children and family members and is gaining national attention. So welcome today, Julie, to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. We're here today to get to know you, of course, and to learn more about your biography on Millie Benson. Tell us um, a little bit about how you, you got started writing that biography on her. Well, it's interesting in that my life has played out in such ways that, particularly since losing her daughter Claire in 2000, where opportunity has presented itself and being in the right place at the right time after Hidden Ohio was published, which came as a result of having the publisher attend Claire's Day. We were looking for an Ohio author to write Hidden Ohio, and she extended the opportunity to me. I had been freelancing before, so writing was not new to me, but certainly writing children's books was, and what a learning process it was. I became involved with the Society of Children Book Writers and Illustrators, which is the industry the organization for the industry. If you want to become a published author illustrator, that is the organization to belong to. There, Here in Ohio, there are two regional chapters. I've attended the Ohio Northern in Cleveland area for their programming annually, as well as there's just many opportunities, again, to connect, to learn, to grow. At one of these regional conferences, I saw my friend Michelle Houts, whose first book was published the same year as Hidden Ohio. We connected at a book fair. We really enjoyed each other from the very beginning, and we made a vow that we were not going to be one-hit wonders. We were going to keep doing what we could to continue to write books and, and become traditionally published. So lo and behold, at this regional chapter meeting, Michelle shared with me that she was serving as editor for this Biographies for Young Reader series the Ohio University Press was publishing. And I, without even any hesitation, I said to her, I really think I'd enjoy contributing to the series. And she said, without hesitation, I think you'd be great, given, you know, your experiences in Ohio and your writing voices, I know it. So... I began researching, they focused primarily on Ohioans, although it's not limited to that. And uh, Millie Benson was on my radar. She lived in Toledo for many years. I knew the role that she played in Nancy Drew, but I knew there was so much more to her story. And when I learned that there hadn't ever been a biography written about her for any age group, um, I thought I was really onto something. And the editorial board at Ohio University Press wholeheartedly and um, in unison fully agreed that Millie's story should be shared. So Wow, so that got the ball rolling. That got the ball rolling, yes. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes. Um, it's just amazing how you're in the right place at the right time yeah. and you can make those connections. Mm-hmm. 
give us a little introduction to Millie Benson. And oh, goodness. Um, I know she's amazing. She is amazing. She was, I guess, to back up, since there hadn't been a book published about her, as I share with kids in school visits, always when you're wanting to write about someone or someplace, find a similar book and then go to that back where all the back matter is and you'll find the resources that will point you in the direction in learning more about your subject. And such was the case with Millie Benson. There was a, a book written uh, about the role that Millie Benson and um, Stratemeyer Syndicate played in the continuation of Nancy Drew. So I'm looking at the back of the book, I knew that Millie was originally from uh, Lodora, Iowa, that she had attended the University of Iowa, and that there were materials at the New York Public Library for the Stratemeyer Syndicate. So all of this correspondence, letters from Millie Benson to Edward Stratemeyer, who was the creator of the Nancy Drew series, the Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, you know, he was a, a genius in the world of children's literature back in the day. So I determined that I was going to go to Lodora. I met with her family in her family home. It was such a wonderful treat. And uh, then I also went to the University of Iowa where I met with representatives of the Iowa Women's Archives and gave me the keys to the kingdom. Um, many of Millie's personal items had been donated to the University of Iowa. Family still had quite a bit as well in Lodora. So I went to University of Iowa and then I progressed from there and went to New York City and into this um, amazing room, the Brooke Russell reading room, which you have to have special permission. You go online, you have to apply wow. to do your research, indicate when you're going to be there, who you are studying, all multiple forms as to why you're going there and who you want to study. And they list boxes of materials and you let them know the first 10 boxes of materials that you want pulled for your visit. Wow. They're ready and waiting for you when you come. And then if you want additional materials over however long that you were there, then they'll pull them for you. So, so that was my journey. And even meeting with um, Jen Fisher out in Arizona, whose collection of Nancy Drew now resides in the Toledo, the main library of Toledo Lucas County Public Library, as well as James Keyline, who is an expert in the Stratemeyer Syndicate. So if I really did my, Nancy Drew would be proud. I really did my, my groundwork in solving the case of, of Millie Benson. So, but yeah, so she grew up in Lodora, Iowa, wanted to be a writer all of her life. Her dad was hoping he would follow in her footsteps as a family doctor. And um, she had her first paid writing assignment when she was 13, contributing to the St. Nicholas Magazine, which was I compare Sports Illustrated for kids these oh, days, okay. so kids can relate. They would accept writings by children and for children. And um, then from there, she went to school of journalism at University of Iowa. She became a society editor at a small newspaper in Clinton, Iowa. That wasn't for her. Uh, she stepped away after graduating in three years from the University of Iowa. She went on a trip to Europe with her family, with her parents to Europe, came back, met with Edward Stratemeyer. She had already been corresponding with him. Uh, he had placed ads looking for writers to contribute to the series for these books that he was creating the outlines and he needed ghostwriters. And uh, initially they rejected her because she hadn't written a full length manuscript. Eventually she began writing for them with the Ruth Fielding series, a series about another young independent woman. Okay. And then after several of those books were published, Edward reached out to her to serve as that first ghostwriter for the Nancy Drew series. So that was Millie. And then Millie went on to write 23 of the first 30 of the Nancy Drew books and 135 books published. 
I, I, I saw the list of, it's, it's amazing. It yeah. is amazing. Multiple, under, <sighs> multiple pseudonyms, you know, some under her own name. Um, she was Alice Emerson for the Ruth Fielding series, of course, Carolyn Keene for Nancy Drew. And then again, a number of series that she created and uh, she got published as a result of the, the weight that she, you know, pulled because of being that original Nancy Drew ghostwriter. And she was the first to graduate with a master's degree yes. in journalism from... So I'm she saying. went back to school after Stratemeyer oh. kind of, you know, rebuffed or rejected her. Um, she thought well, she loved going to school. She was fully involved at the University of Iowa. She was on the swim team. There's this iconic picture of Millie jumping off a rock into the <laughs> Iowa River. I love it. It's in the book. It's just, it's perfectly Millie, in my opinion. Uh, she was involved in um, the SEAL Club, the swim team. She was involved in a group, the Cosmopolitan Club, which was, you know, all about celebrating international cultures. She was on the Daily Iowan staff, of course, the student newspaper still written by, run by um, students on campus. So fully, and then she realized she missed school. So she went back and no surprise, she got her undergrad three years, she got her master's in a year. And she was the first male or female to graduate with a master's in journalism from the University of Iowa. So amazing. And then started writing, I was looking back, she was born in 1905. And she started writing for Edward Stratemeyer in 1926. Nancy Drews came out in 1930. Okay. Look at how young she was. Oh my goodness. I know. I mean, she just, that's, you know, she was 21 years old when she starts writing her first books and 25 when she starts writing for the Nancy Drew series. Pretty right. amazing. And he provided an outline, right? What else did he? So Edward Stratemeyer had begun his career as a ghostwriter, and he became so prolific, he literally couldn't keep up with all of the opportunities. So he decided he was smart. He started his own business. He called it Stratemeyer and Associates, which was nothing more than Edward and his assistant, Harriet. And um, he began creating these series. Again, they aforementioned Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, Ruth Fielding, many other series. Uh, coincidentally, when I did my research at the New York Public Library on Millie, there was an exhibit on children's literature, and there is a special section dedicated to Edward Stratemeyer and Nancy Drew, which was really, really cool to have. And in my in my um, PowerPoint, I share a letter that I was really hoping to, I mean, I couldn't believe first that they didn't make me wear gloves with some of this, you know, oh. paper, the letters from the 1920s. A lot of, like the Library of Congress, you need to use gloves when you're handling these things. They did not there for whatever reason. But um, there was a letter in the file that um, I really wanted to examine and to see, and it was on, under display glass in this exhibit. So I, I took oh. a picture as best I could, you know, with the glare of this correspondence from Millie and Ed, Edward back in, you know, late 1920s leading up to 1930 when, you know, we wow. have a plot twist in the story, as I like to say. Yes. That must have been fascinating to see all that material. I just can't imagine how exciting that would be to find all that to yes. read about, especially yes. when you were researching her and you could yes. see so many things that... I feel as though I need to go through their online archives and discover a subject so I can go have an excuse to go back to that room to do some research because it was such an incredible experience. And they were all, I mean, everyone along this journey in, in discovering Millie were so very helpful and supportive and kind. It just made it a very joyful experience, which was great. 
I think about how many people were impacted by the Nancy Drew books. I know in our Cozy Mystery Book Club, we talk about that. Yeah. You know, people remember even the pictures on the, the covers of the books. Yes. It, I mean, it had such a big impact on so many yes. young women yes. and men, if, young yep. boys. or And still to this day, I mean, there are Nancy <laughs> Drew series, you know, in video games and computer games that are keeping Nancy Drew relevant for current we were talking a little bit earlier yes, about okay. Edward Stratum. Yeah, let's talk twist. about Edward. How, how, yeah, well, I don't want to give away this, <laughs> the, the answer in your book either to the, the mystery, because that's the worst thing a person could do. Yeah. <laughs> Come oh, and tell you, hey, did you know who the murderer is? <laughs> right, right. Well, he, he was not murdered, but he, he died just 12 days after the first three Nancy Drews were released. Now, it's interesting that he would release, for a new series, he would release three books. He called it a breeder set. And I've been told that that term refers to really breeding readers, that he wanted to get readers hooked on this new series. So he released three at a time, get those readers, you know, wanting more. Oh yeah. And when I do school visits, I, I share with kids that if it weren't for Ed, Edward Stratemeyer, Harry Potter might not have become all that Harry Potter. And they're like, whoa, well, J.K. Rowling figured it out. I mean, she, with her book, she'd have those cliffhangers and she'd have those plot lines where you could not wait to, Harry Potter fans could not wait to read the next one, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so too with many mystery writers, series mystery writers, is that if they have a continual thread and character, is that you, know, you just so enjoy that mystery and how it's played out in one that you can't wait to read another. And that's what Edward figured out with his series. And 12 days after the Nancy Drew series were published in April of 1930, he passed away. He had become ill suddenly and um, he died. And sadly, there wasn't a succession plan. He had two daughters, Harriet, not to be confused with assistant Harriet, um, and Edna. And both of them, Harriet more so, and Edna really wanted to become involved in the business, and he kind of kept them at bay. He allowed Harriet to do some editing, but he never had her come to the offices. He had her do the work from their home in New Jersey. And um, then after he passed, the daughters tried to sell uh, the business, and oh. they didn't find, you know, we're talking 1930. What's happening in 1930? It's Great Depression. Yeah. So if it weren't for Harriet Stratemeyer and Millie Benson both, Nancy Drew would still not be happening today. Um, they both pulled up their bootstraps. Uh, Harriet's reached out to Millie to see if she would continue to write for the series. She did. Um, their relationship was not the same as Millie's relationship with Edward. You're gonna have to read the book to figure that one yeah. out. But um, that's a good yeah, that, yeah. Book. So, um, but the two of them, to their credit, and I think there was that, despite their kind of personality differences and conflicts, that they had a mutual respect for each other, and again, they helped move the series forward. That's fascinating because yes. I think it could have just ended, right? You know, and right. not gone on any further. Right. We would not have been. Uh, had the enjoyment that all of us have had from and I think it's a, Drew. I think it's very appropriate that two women, you know, for this series That's that was point. being written about a young independent woman, that these two women moved it forward, which I think is really pretty cool. Wow, that definitely mm -hmm. is. I wondered about this as I was reading the book and looking at the other books that you've written. Um, what attracted you to the desire to write biographies for young readers versus adult readers? And do you think eventually you might do some adult reader um, biographies? I love reading them, but I love 
writing for younger audiences, and that probably stems from our Claire's Day and our celebration of our little reader gone too soon. And I love doing school visits. I love presenting to adult audiences. Uh, the Millie Benson book, all three of the biographies, even though they're written for middle grade, young adult level, they appeal to adults. And I knew right. well enough that since there had never been that biography of Millie Benson written before, that we would have audiences of all ages enjoying this book. And um, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I think that I love discovering stories of women in particular who are inspiring. And I think a common thread from their lives and through mine is uh, tenacity and um, just being able to move forward through challenges and obstacles that come in their way. And I think there's many biographies about men that I think we women, I think you're right. you know, it's history. It's time for her story. Yes, <laughs> so, right. so, yes, that's true. I'm, I know that it's a, um, inspirational to women all over. Uh, in the book clubs, we talk about it. And, you know, it's just really good to see somebody work through a crisis or mm -hmm. a, a tragedy and come out on the other side. Yeah. Not always as you think it's going to be. Right. Um, as easy to come out on the other side and right. there's a struggle. Yes. Um, Resilience. There's there's within each of my subjects that I found and hopefully stories that I will tell in the future and in published form. Resilience is, resonates with me. I did really like the way you had the book laid out with the other additional pieces in it and then the timeline in the back and I, is, I'm assuming that's how you set the other ones. Well, it's actually, I can't take credit for that. That was the Ohio University Press. That was their format. The Millie biography was just the second in the series for the biographies for young readers and um, they really wanted uh, students to dive a little deeper and to okay. understand how sometimes there's something within the story that needs a little further examining or something that can make it relevant to them in their lives and uh, in the Virginia Hamilton something comes to mind the Virginia Hamilton biography I talk about how Arnold wanted to remember Virginia's phone number and back then you know they didn't have cell phones and phone numbers were a very long combination of numbers and letters based on where the person resided and you know unlike now where you can you know simply exchange or here give me your cell phone and I'll put my phone number in well that wasn't the case back then so you know kids need to kind of understand I think how it was back then which is fascinating to me versus how it is now absolutely yeah. um, let's see what factors um, or characteristics of Nancy Drew do you think that Millie talking about strong women, what, what did she pull from her own personality in life? Oh my goodness, I, I never had the opportunity to meet Millie, but I certainly felt as if I had come to know her through all of the research that I'd done and talking with her family and seeing all these primary sources, which I think are very, very important and emphasize that with, with any writer of nonfiction, be it children or adults. But um, she was feisty, <laughs> she was very resourceful, she was tenacious. She would not give up on a story. Uh, there's a great story within the book, which I won't go into, but she has, she did not give up on the story that she was after for the Toledo Blade, which she also wrote for, for Toledo Times and then the Toledo Blade, which she wrote for over 50 years, along with writing 135 children's books. Amazing. But that um, is amazing. Feisty, independent, um, adventuresome. She was really adventuresome. And so all of 
those Millie characteristics, even though Edward had created the outline mm -hmm. and the character, he created, he developed the name and the character, Millie's job was to flesh it out. And um, so I think initially Edward was a little concerned about how flippant, if you will, that Nancy could be a little disrespectful of authority. Oh. <laughs> and um, but the publisher loved it, so you know went on from there. So I think I think Millie really injected a lot of her own personality into Nancy for sure. It seems like that mm -hmm. um, that uh, Stratmeyer did not like some of that um, or didn't care for some of the things she had put but she continued to to include those well you know unfortunately the the trail of clues is short because he passed you know so oh, soon i mean yes. their communication was only for four years and uh you know he died in 1930 so what we have oh. to rely upon is letters or um then correspondence later from harriet stratemeyer to millie but i I guess I would, it, it might have been kind of a male-female, or it may have been creator versus, you know, if you think if you created this formula, this foundation, this template, and you had this vision of this character, and then the writer came in and had a little bit of their own, that there might be a little bit of pushback from the creator. And it, it may have been that, but I, I don't really know the answer to that. But regardless, you know, Nancy, those that manuscript clue, and. And soon Nancy drew the first three stories, the uh, secret case of the hidden clock, the hidden staircase, which was Millie's favorite, I'm often asked that question, mm -hmm. and the bungalow mystery, those first three. They flew out the shelves even despite the fact that they were published in 1930 during the Depression. So, right, yeah. this is amazing. Tell me about how you got involved with the Virginia Hamilton Project. Ah. Well, there again, I was aware of Virginia Hamilton through our work at Claire's Day. We have always tried to have our participating authors and illustrators be a reflection of our audiences, and we've always been very inclusive. Mm -hmm. And I knew that Virginia Hamilton was incredibly significant in the world of children's literature. So I proposed to the Ohio University Press editorial board that I write this biography of her. Now there had been other biographies of Virginia written, but there weren't any that were specific to the middle grade slash young adult audience. And you know that was her primary. Granted, she had um, written books retelling of African American or African tales. Um, she had written younger books for younger audiences, but primarily middle grade and, and young adults. So I thought that there was a gap there. And I had attended the Virginia Hamilton Conference for uh, Multicultural Ooh. Literature for Children at Kent State okay. for several years in going to meet a say Angela Johnson was one who was presenting there. And I had some communication with her beforehand to say, I would love to meet you. I'd love to talk with you about Claire's Day and have you come and participate in Claire's Day. And, um, so it was then that I began to really understand how important Virginia's work was and how unique her work was. And so with this proposal uh, to Ohio University Press, all the same feeling like, I think I was a bit naive. I mean, I didn't oh. really understand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's fun when I'm at book festivals or I talk to, say, an English teacher, which I re recently had 
communication with and she didn't know who Virginia was and it made me really sad mm -hmm. and then of course I, I get over exuberant <laughs> she had to back away from the conversation but give me give me you know any time and I'll share with you how important Virginia's work was it was unlike is unlike any work um, wow. that was ever produced before not what one would perceive as traditional stories of black people, African-American people. They were stories that were fantastical and yet children could relate to them because of their themes of family and love. And, you know, sometimes we just have in our mindset what books should be if they're written by someone who looks different or believes right. differently right. than we do. And Virginia's are not that way. And her, she was the first African-American male or female to win the Newbery in 1975 for MC Against the Great. That book also won the Horn Book um, Award as well as the uh, New York Times. So wow. Virginia won the big trifecta of awards for MC Against the Great in 1974. Her first book, Zeely, was published, I believe, in 1968. So there wasn't a big time frame. I mean, oh. once she figured out this formula for writing these amazing works for children, she was and her imagination was just incredible. So I learned of Virginia through, again, Claire's Day and through friends in the industry, through the Virginia Hamilton Conference. And um, I, it was such a privilege to come to know Virginia through the eyes and the heart of Arnold Adolph, her husband, who passed away this last year, but through the process, we became dear friends, and I, I miss him. He was a wonderful man. That's uh, too bad. Yes. Yeah. Um, so share with us about your daughter, Claire, and I know it's had such a huge impact on your life. And Yes. Um, yes. The trajectory, as I said, from you know, the beginning with Hidden Ohio being the opportunity presented at Claire's Day, and then going on to the biographies and, and the other work since, I feel as though I have this, Claire's not with me physically, but her spirit prevails and she's there and, you know, saying, go mom and, you know, guess, guess what's next? What's gonna be the next <laughs> chapter? But uh, Claire was just 10 when we lost her. She had a misdiagnosed heart condition and uh, she, was away, she was away at camp when she passed. Oh, how it, devastating. It was, you know, every parent's nightmare oh, and boy. then some and, um, we had two other children who were eight and six at the time, another daughter and a son. And a husband and I had a wonderful relationship. And from the very beginning, through the darkest steps of grief, we felt it very important that we not only honor Claire in some way, but we honor our relationships with each other. Because we saw through various oh. forms of grief counseling, too many families that had broken apart, too many, you know, just really bad things that had happened to families after a child had died. And we oh, vowed yes. that that was not going to happen to us. So there was a lot of work that was going on as a family. And um, ultimately, six months after she died, we're flying to my niece's wedding down in Florida and in my seat pocket, Time Magazine, with a story about the Texas Book Festival and former First Lady Laura Bush, who I admired immensely for mm -hmm. what she was doing with children's literature and promoting literacy. And, um, you know, book festivals back then were really just kind of beginning. So this oh. would have been back in 2000. Claire died in 2000, so it was just January of 2001. And in reading the story, 
about the Texas Book Festival, what really touched me was the fact that they celebrated Texas-born authors, illustrators, or those who had written about Texas. And they had both adult authors as well as children's book authors. Well, before I became a children's book author, I was freelancing, and I would share my stories with the kids, read them to the kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever we would read nightly to the children, we would would go to that back flap, and we would learn about the authors and illustrators because we felt it was important that they knew who was creating these wonderful works. Oh, yes. I knew from that exercise that we had a wealth of talent in literally Mm -hmm. in our backyard. So I'm reading the article, and it was like divine intervention. It was Claire saying, hey, okay, this is what you're going to (laughs) do. So Claire's Day was born from that moment, and I went back to, I used to work in the hospitality industry, Mm -hmm. marketing, sales, management Mm -hmm. is my background. I reached out to women primarily that Mm -hmm. I had worked with, and they, um, every one of them said yes, and we created this team of incredibly strong women who helped me through a very difficult time in my life, not only in the grief process, but in the process of establishing a children's book festival, which is now going into its 20th year. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, and we we do. We impact now over 25,000 children. 25,000, I'm sure. We have school visits, so it's not just a day anymore. We have two, uh, sometimes three festival sites. All of our authors and illustrators, the schools uh, host them for school visits. It's a win-win situation. Our authors then are earning honorarium instead of just coming to the book festival and oh. not receiving any funds because oftentimes that's the case. Yeah. And um, so they're they're getting uh, paid by the schools to share their stories and their successes and their inspirations and get kids all psyched up and then leading into Claire's Day. And then Claire's Day is just filled with such joy between the authors and illustrators being there, but most significantly our CARE Awards, our Claire's Awards for Reading Excellence, which are given to children who are nominated by their teachers as being the most improved readers, not the best readers, the most improved readers in their schools. We just spoke with our executive director the other day, and she just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. She said, you cannot believe, she said, I had a really bad morning, and then I'm reading these nomination forms from these teachers, and to hear the stories of how these children are rising above circumstance and situations and learning challenges, and they're moving forward and embracing reading now is just, she said, it's brought me to tears, you know, and it happens every year when we start getting these nominations. And now we went from the first year about recognizing 25 children, giving them a book and giving them a personalized certificate to now over 1,200 annually. Our goal is to recognize 2,000 this year, and each of those children will receive that personalized certificate and now a coupon to select their own book uh, written by, illustrated by our participating Claire's Day authors and illustrators. So it's huge, it's huge, it's amazing. It's just amazing how it's grown and touched so many lives. Your daughter was quite an avid reader, wasn't she? She was, and she, I mean, she was reading at 10 years of age at high school level. So the challenge as a parent was, of course, to find her material that was content appropriate for her. And um, mm. yeah, she would come home with stories about how maybe friends were struggling a little bit and how uh-huh. she was helping them and how we encouraged her to, you know, she was given that gift of being able to read well from an early age. and. Sometimes other kids. My husband is dyslexic, and that's kind of part of the whole background of the story too. That when he would read to Claire, oh. if she was so proficient, she noted that he was switching out the words, or he was, you know, doing what the dyslexia brain will do oh, with yeah. reading. And she then began reading to him, and encouraging him. And so Brad 
that's the care awards are kind of Brad's area and he has embraced it and he does all of the award ceremonies and he shares that story and it gets my heart every time I listen to it it's just and then one year we had our kids now live in Atlanta and Denver oh, and um, one is getting married in June so they won't be home for this year's Claire saying oh. unless they're surprising me but um, <laughs> they were doing their the awards helping out with the award ceremonies and oh my gosh I I just lost it. I just teared out oh, these two who loved their sister and were honoring her as well. What an amazing thing to do with your yeah. husband as well as your children and yeah. now adult children. Yeah. And quite a legacy that you'll leave for their children as well. Yeah. I mean, that, well that's incredible. Thank you. I know it makes me want to cry. I mean, you know, I'm sure everybody does that to you. Whether we cut this out or not, so, you know, we don't know whether to ask. We want to ask. We know it's a huge, but it provides so many networking situations for you too, yes. to and I expand it. Well, and not only that, but it really touches me when I hear from someone who has lost a child. Oh, I can't and, imagine. You know, because grief is not an easy thing to mm -hmm. discuss or to share. There are bereavement groups, uh, there are support groups, but sometimes just talking to someone who's been down that path is very helpful. And, you know, I've always said that no matter how one moves forward in their journey, as long as you do so in a healthy manner, you know, whether you honor your child or don't honor your child, right. you know, in public right. or privately, or, you know, that's your choice. This was our choice. And we've had incredible support from so many people over the years that right. it was literally, um, I say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to celebrate a child as well. And it has done Absolutely. all of that. The communities of Mommy and Toledo, the library system, Barnes and Noble, so many, you know, financial partners and volunteers over the years it's it takes a lot of people to make it happen and you know at the heart of that is a love for family with a little reader gone too soon and that's um, very special to me so I've always I felt as though that with Claire's Day too it does offer that opportunity to talk about her and to remember her and to celebrate mm -hmm. the joy along with the tragedy of losing here and I think that that offers lessons to many too is that it's okay if you want to. It's okay if you don't. It's just whatever works for you. Oh, that's that's an awesome thing. It's hard to know the right words to say because it's it's when you take into consideration all the people that are being affected in so many different ways, like you're saying too. I mean, it's you know, it's just like rabbits multiplying. I mean, the things get you know spread out farther and farther, and more people get helped and children learn to read more and better and desire to have you know improve their literacy or and parents probably too i would assume but teachers are amazing too you know, yeah. so. and it's very special um, we try and take care of our teachers too knowing that they work so very hard and they they are a huge part of that progression with these young readers that you know if not for them and their interventions and their help that you know, we wouldn't be celebrating these children necessarily. Not certainly parents or whomever is caring for the child has a big part of that right. role too. And there's reading specialists and et cetera. But, you know, at the heart of it, it has to come down to the teacher who is, is taking the time to um, fill out the form and recognize the fact that this child is moving forward in their reading journey. So we appreciate them very much. 
That's incredible. Well, thank you very much yes. for coming. Absolutely. It's so thank enjoyable, you. and I'm sure our listeners will love to hear your story. Well, thank you. And I would add that they can, if they want to learn more, they yes. can visit our website, uh, clairesday.org. Okay, that's C-L-A-I-R-E-S-D-A-Y.org. Or my website, julierubini.com. And that's J-U-L-I-E-R-U-B-I-N-I.com. Okay. And um, there's interconnections between the two. So if they want to learn more, they can go to the, those websites. Okay, great. Well, thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PLSJ's podcast. Visit us in person at your library branch or online at steubenvillelibrary.org.